this pro basketball player who <laughs> not that's not fair what i don't literally nothing me either have okay. you met me all right okay go ahead sorry <laughs> who hails from akron ohio led the cavaliers to their first nba championship in 2016 and because of his stake in uh beats electronics when apple bought it he got a 30 million dollar profit and he recently tried to trademark Taco Tuesday. Ah, LeBron James. <laughs> yes. Hi. Hi, your business. You know what's funny when I was prepping this week? I, like, didn't have... I, like, didn't feel like there was... There was, a, like, a lot to talk about, but I didn't feel like the world was burning. Um... I always thought the world was so I can't relate. Uh, Got it. But sure, good. Okay. Uh, <laughs> well, what do you have? What what what's the burn this week? So let's not start with a burn. Let's start with because this. I don't know if it's burning. It's just a little flame. Mm-hmm. Um, so Felicity Huffman, uh, the actress who you might know from Desperate Housewives yeah. and other stuff, um, she was sentenced to two weeks prison. Uh, and okay, wait. I'm sorry. How long? Two weeks. And community service and a $30,000 fine for paying uh, $15,000 to get her daughter's SAT scores uh, fixed so she could get into good school. Because her daughter Two weeks. Not a very high-performing high school student. Yeah, sometimes you're dumb and you should have to work a little harder to get into school. Yeah. So this, this scandal has, <laughs> you know, ensnared a lot of uh, wealthy white actors and actresses um uh also caught up in this was aunt becky from full house right uh, laurie loughlin who knows aunt becky um and yeah felicity she pled guilty unlike aunt becky and now she is serving a whole two weeks do you think she'll really go into a prison i think so but the fact that it's just two weeks for this like brazen abuse of the college admissions uh, system right. is astounding to me. Right, when there's black mothers in prison. For... Right, that's, that's what stood out most uh, to me. You know, a lot of sites who are covering this news mentioned Tanya McDowell, uh, who's a black mother who was sentenced to five years in prison for um, using a friend's address to enroll her son in a kindergarten Um uh, in 2010. And then there's also Kelly Williams Bowler, who spent nine days in jail in 2011 for using her dad's address, so her kid's grandfather's mm-hmm. address, to get her child in a better performing school district. And that case was actually cited by prosecutors in, um, in Felicity's case, because the, the prosecutors wanted, like, more time. Oh, okay. Um, so they said, you know, hey, look at this other case. Right, we that give this much for way minimal. Yes. Yes, there was no cheating involved. The the woman just used her grandfather's mm-hmm. address to get her um her kid into a better school and you're giving her And the fact the, that we need the same punishment. 
This is my thing. The fact that we need any legal action towards mothers trying to get their children a better education is the same thing as like you as like Walmart taking down video games when mass shootings happen. Right. Like that is not the problem. (laughs) The problem is the education system and the disparity in education and how American education system is shit anyway. And so to get above the shit just a little bit, we have to jump through some hoops. And it's like, so talk about that. Talk about the fact that you like are not paying teachers and really just funneling in a lot of people that do not care about the success of the children, right? It's just like, there's so many underlying things. So like using an address or even while she should have gotten more, even paying to fix SAT scores to me is not the problem, right? Right. The problem is a bigger system that no one wants to address. So we're throwing out nine days here and 14 days there. Well, that's why I thought it was important to, to, to bring up on this podcast because you know we talk a lot about equity and and um and systems that uh prioritize wealth and whiteness uh that we as black people have to then matriculate through and and navigate through and and figure out um and you know the ability of felicity excuse me someone like felicity to just pay to have their kids um go to a good school um, just speaks to all these other similar systems like, you know, um, the the good old boy network, you know, that people pay uh, or, or have access to to get their, you know, white male son that job at Facebook or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, um, or whatever other billion dollar uh, company, um, which kind of perpetuates the uh, the. Right, or even the the, the, the culture non, the non-diversity fit. of these cultures and C-suites at, right. at these companies. Yeah, so it just, yeah, it was indicative of a larger thing. Well, and the other thing I, I forgot to mention is that she also said, when the judge asked her why she did this, she said, I just wanted my daughter to have a fair shot. And I'm but like, that's how fairness feels. To, that's how fairness feels when you're privileged, this though. Is, that's literally the opposite of what, of fairness. Of what you did. But you know... The, <laughs> a fair shot would have been allowing her to get in on the grades that she earned during high school. Right. I read I, the undertones of that, though, to me. I was waiting for someone to mention, like, affirmative action. Mm-hmm. Right, because I I've told this story that I when I got into Carnegie Mellon, I was interning Life around <laughs> Lightflex. <laughs> I was interning around this like white kid who did not have good grades right. and was like, well, you know, like if I was black, maybe I would have gotten in too. And it's like, no, if you were smart, Ugh. like and so and like and so that to me when I hear fair shot is yeah. like, well, she doesn't have like a sob story and she doesn't come from a single parent home and she doesn't have any of this. So it's like we're rich and white. And so now I have to try to give her a fair shot by cheating. Right. Yeah. Stay mad. Stay mad. Your daughter's not smart. Stay mad. Yeah, she'll be all right in a couple weeks. They'll all be fine. They'll all be fine. She has a movie on, um, on, (laughs) on Netflix right now. Felicity does? Yeah. With, um, and Angela Bassett's in it. Unfortunately, because it's, it's getting oh the mother mad. thing. It's called Otherhood. Yeah. And at first, I wanted to watch it I because didn't even of remember Angela. that she was in that. Yeah, but it's apparently not very good. Why? Why do you think Angela did that? I mean, it's on. It's a Netflix original, I guess. And so, if I'm if I'm you know an older actor, and Netflix says, "Hey, we want you, we want you to be in this movie," like I imagine. Yeah, there's like going to be some push behind it. Yeah. That's interesting. There was another Democratic debate this week, the third one. 
10 candidates. I hope, Finally whittled right? down. Right? I hope they whittled down to like, but it's funny, as I read the list of 10, I was still like, who dat? <laughs> who are these people? Um, but I think the really interesting thing about this debate to me is that the first two were really them being pitted against each other, right? Yeah. Like, this is what you used to do. This one was very much them being pitted against their past selves. And they asked them a lot of questions, which I like because I feel like we get such amnesia of what people mm-hmm. have done have prior to, to running. To yes. And, and you know, bleeding eyeballs, Joe is really bad at that. He's really bad at that. <laughs> <laughs> this man, I can't even take him. I just got another image of him. It's, Eyeballs it's gushing not funny because he's like, oh, so I, I'm trying not to like be ages, but it was hilarious. It's like, if you need any more reason Yeah, to that you're not just like not fit man, for this. Sit down. Your <laughs> eyes are bleeding. Right. Sit down. Right. It's very scary. So, um, so, yeah, that's what I found interesting about this debate is that it was a lot more bringing them to task to explain who, what person were you when you did this? And right. so um, one of the moderators asked Joe, are you prepared to say tonight that you and President Obama made a mistake about deportations? Because, you know, um, Obama kind of got the nickname deportation in, in chief because they sent a lot of immigrants. Deporter in chief. Oh, deporter in chief. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. I remember that. Um, <clears throat> they sent a lot of immigrants. They deported a lot of immigrants mm-hmm. during his time in office. Mm-hmm. And, you know... Old Joe could have taken the integrity route and either said, yes, they were wrong, talked about how he learned, right? He said, didn't answer the question. And then when the moderator came back and challenged him, do you know what this man said? What he said, girl? I was the vice president of the United States. Mm. Basically saying <laughs> that was Obama. I didn't have a say in it, but it's so funny because you're literally running on his back nonstop. But now all of a sudden when there's a question about something you did, Mm -hmm. now you don't know him. Now you never met him. It's also the same with his criminal justice record. You know, like he, um, and, uh, when it, when people are questioning him about his record on, um, uh, the crime bill Mm -hmm. in the nineties, it's like, he just has right amnesia things were different then and yada yada it's just like no accountability yeah. yeah and it's like um julian castro who was a former housing and urban development secretary also in obama's administration said i stand with barack obama all eight years good bad and indifferent which would have been the easy thing like simone what are you telling joe because it's not going well I bet simone quit I'm, I bet she did. Have, I'm sure she just, did too, because she's just like, I'm not gonna have you dragging yet. me along, yeah. right? And then your girl Kamala is now. Why is she my girl? Oh, you don't like her? I didn't say I didn't like her. Probably oh. she my girl. Either. Oh, she ain't mine. <laughs> um, she's now backing ending cash bail and legalizing marijuana, which were two things that, as a prosecutor, she was very anti. Really? Yes. And so when people asked her about that, she said, there have been many distortions of my record. The reason I became a prosecutor was to have the ability to reform the system. I would try to do it from the inside. So I don't know. This debate was just a lot more interesting to me because it did call everyone to task to say, like, you weren't just born the minute that you started to run for president. Like, and we can't wipe the slate clean 
we need to talk about what happened before. Um, And then there was another article that we'll link to of an interview with The Root and Bill de Blasio. Is he still running? Yes. I know. He didn't qualify for the debate. Listen. And they at like at the end, the interviewer asks him. He's like, you know, you have a lot going on being the mayor of New York City. Like, why don't you just stick to that, basically? And he and he said something that is interesting. He was like, you know, I feel like, unfortunately, this country has turned into people that don't have a lot to do and people that don't have the experience running for this office. Hmm. He's like, the fact that I have a lot to do means that I should be pushing in here. So I, I like that he brought to the to he brought to the point that, like, we got a Trump because Trump didn't have shit else to do. Right. And like, we, we need, we need to not negate the fact that people who are busy in politics may be the people that we want to be in well, here. Right. To whoever created that line. Exactly. Because line. the rest of the interview, <laughs> JJ, the rest of the interview was like, Bill, if you don't take the damn MTA and like, go get out of here. Right. He talked about how like, you know him falling in love at first sight with this black woman and now having a black family has like just given him an insight into that being black in america is worse than we thought it's like it's not worse than i thought it's worse than you thought i'm sure (laughs) and then like how he disagrees with aoc calling um the detention camps concentration camps because he sat with an auschwitz survivor and it's like concentration camp is not synonymous to jewish holocaust it is not there was con- there's concentration camps in Africa right now. Mm-hmm. So the fact that it's not a Jewish person doesn't mean that we don't get to talk about that. You don't own that. Yep. Right. And so the rest of it's garbage. The whole thing. I was just like, this is why you weren't at the debates. Yeah. <laughs> this is why you're not doing great at the job you have now. It's so funny. Do you ever watch? Uh, I think it's New York one in the morning. Well, we don't have to. Yeah, no. <laughs> but my boyfriend, he always him him and his roommate always have the um the news on like in the morning. Mm-hmm. And, um, they have the that New York New York One talk show, and they are always letting Bill De Blasio have it. Really? Like, they do not see it from really. It's like the, what are they every, saying? Every, every time they like report something on him, they're like, well. Our mayor thinks he has a shot at being president. <laughs> like they let him have it. It is so funny to watch. Oh my god! Check it out sometime. It's I should because I do want to drag Bill. It sounds like the um the debate highlighted a lot of things that people didn't know about um about the candidates. Which yeah. I'm very, excited for and their past which is like the research that we need because i am very tired of black folks polling in polls saying that they want i can't like like guys i know please we have to stop we have to stop it's not he's not he's not gonna do anything good um so yeah and then bt was in the news this week for what well, I have a thing, but there is a first thing that they are releasing a streaming platform. Oh, yeah. Um, Do we need so- that? <laughs> what, we don't get enough Tyler Perry movies on repeat? Because so, is it with Tyler Perry? Yeah, so it oh, says, uh, according to Variety, um, BT Plus is a joint venture between BT Networks and Tyler Perry Studios. I don't. Oh, it launches this week. This coming, like this Thursday. We're September, not excited about September that. September 19th. Who cares? Well, wait, let's see what's on it. So, um, it's ad-free. It's a subscription. It costs $10 a month. No, thank you. Um, 
will include more than a thousand hours of shows, movies, and stand-up specials, including content from Terry, Terry, Tyler Perry, and Will Packer. Uh, sounds like a winning combination. Oh, uh, also, it will debut with um, the first Wives Club. The, so they, oh, the so, black one. Yeah, the black. I love the original. I loved Club. it too. Oh my god! Um, you don't know me. Exactly. I'm not the. Kind of <laughs> da, da, da. Um, so the yeah the one starring Jill Scott, Ryan Bath, and Michelle Buteau. Um, oh, Michelle Buteau mm-hmm. is in that. I like her. Yep that um, that will debut with the um, with the streaming cool are you excited no bt is one of those um for us by us but not ours um because it's owned by viacom that's how i feel about it Mm -hmm. and then the founder of bt is like a rich white man in a black man's body So I just don't feel like I'm supporting something that I really want to be supporting. Yeah. I think it's like blackface. Like, I think mm-hmm. because it's all this black stuff, it feels like, oh, black girls rock. Yeah, I want to be a part right. of it. But then when you, like, take the covers off, you're like, oh, yeah. it's actually, like, you know, it's, really I, white in here. That's actually a really good point because BET in 2019 could be something so different. I, I think that in 2019 well, where race issues and, and issues of... Can you imagine what they would be, what, what they could be feeding us? Yeah. Yeah, and sure. they're not. And I think it it almost has recontextualized BET because when it came out in the 80s, it was revolutionary. Right. Right? Because we never saw ourselves. Mm. And now you have to do more than just show us ourselves. And you have to do more than just show us a sticky, coony version of ourselves. And can you imagine if BET would do anything parallel to what a CNN or a Vox does for Mm. presidential debates? Mm. Can you imagine... Yeah, I don't see any political content. No, no. And Tyler Perry's ass is going to give you another Medea. So welcome. So take your $10. (laughs) I'm not into it. But also this week, Robert Johnson, who was the founder of BET, repeat. Now, this is not the first time he's done it, but he did it again this week. Mm -hmm. Praises Trump for black unemployment rates. So CNN Business released a report this week that black unemployment falls to a record low. Mm-hmm. Keep in mind, record low is 5.9, which is still pretty much double the rate <laughs> of white unemployment. Mm-hmm. So the bar is on the ground and we're still not over it. Mm-hmm. But Robert Johnson says, for African Americans, the trend continues to be favorable. There used to be an old saying, when white America catches a cold, African Americans get pneumonia. It's going the opposite way now. Not at all. White unemployment is going down. African unemployment is going down. That's a plus that you can't disagree with. That's not the opposite. That's not the opposite. It's the same. The same. That statement means when when white America has a trouble, we have a bigger trouble. Right. So that's still happening. So the opposite would be African American employment is going up, is going, but it's going down, down, and white is going up. Yeah. Dummy. That's what I'm just like. You're dumb. And for me, are you dumb? For me, <laughs> shout out to Kim. <laughs> shout out to Kim. Are you dumb? And for me, what's dangerous is like you cl- you see CNN Business's headline, which was their article was 
very relevant. Yeah. But black and black unemployment falls to a record low. Here are the caveats, mm. right? Here are the caveats that it's still double. Here are the caveats that it is the lowest it's been since 1972 when they started reporting. Mm. And that's over the eight, the last eight years when we had Obama. Here's the caveat that the current level has more to do with the Fed's decision to keep interest rates at or near zero for an extended period of time, led by the two previous Federal Reserve chairpersons, right? And so Under Obama. Under right? Obama. Okay. And here's the... 80th caveat that I don't think that we pay attention to is that these unemployment rates that feel so favorable do not account for currently incarcerated people, which we know we make 40 to almost 50% of that. Yep. So it's way worse. Yep. Right? And so it's just like it Cause, felt... cause if you're unemployed and you uh, don't have a lot of people who don't have means to make money, what are you going to do? Right. And then, you're going to figure out. And then you're going to get arrested. Right. <laughs> and that's so that so when your numbers look so great, right. it could be because you're putting more of us in prison. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to count us at all. Preach on it. Listen. So that was my like to me, you know how I feel about a coon black person and how dangerous that is. Right. And like him being connected to BET, BET feel, feeling like it's a network that belongs to us is so dangerous hmm. because Thankfully, you and I have the access and the intellect and the resources to say, hold on, let me dig deeper. But but right. if we didn't, his statement, we would walk away saying, oh, the founder of BT said that, the founder, Trump, that Trump's helping yeah. unemployment. So he mm -hmm. must not be so bad. Right. And that's scary to me. Yeah. He's an interesting character. Um, he said uh, last month, I think, that um, he felt that the Democratic Party had moved too far to the left. It's like, yeah, that's easy for you to say, rich, rich billionaire, founder of BT. And <laughs> like, you know how I feel. This is how I feel about Jay-Z. This is how I feel about a lot of black people that have reached that level is that they just think that, like, because their life is different, then life must be different. Yeah. Well, that's a good segue into our guest, right? Yeah, because I, I feel like what what always comes out of these conversations is why we need our own shit and our re really our own stuff right that is like backed by us um so very exciting our guest today is dr lakeisha hallman who is the creator of the village market and the village market is a quarterly marketplace experience premiering carefully selected diverse black artisans makers and service providers from across the country she's based in atlanta but um, I hope that the Village Market gets big enough to where she'll want to do this in other cities. Yeah, too. we need one. We need one. All right, so come on back. Hey, guys. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and a lot of other platforms. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's basically everything you need to make a podcast all in one place and what we use to record your business. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started.
All right. So today we have Dr. Lakeisha Hallman, who is the founder and CEO of The Village Market, which is a quarterly marketplace experience premiering carefully selected diverse Black artisans, makers, and service providers from across the country based in ATL. Mm-hmm. You're coming to us all the way from Atlanta. I am. Hey, y'all. Yes. You're our first remote <laughs> interview, Dr. Key. How's it feel to be our guinea pig? <laughs> you know, I'm going to say um, I feel very special. Yay. <laughs> you are. You are. So well, let's see how this, this works. And I'm really excited for this conversation today. Yes, me too. Us too. I, I just want to appreciate you for making the time. And I'm so glad that we could finally make it happen. I, I met you a few months ago, earlier in the spring, right, when I was reporting on that, that uh, feature for Fast Company. And um, and we were supposed to do an in-person interview then, and we could make it happen. So thank you so much for just, <laughs> just, oh, make, just, just being a little patient with us as we got it together. Oh, you're so welcome. I'm so happy we connected in the spring. Uh, and look at this full circle moment. Mm-hmm. So, so welcome to the pod. Um, so why don't you start off by telling us about the Village Market ATL um, and like what it is and it's about the community that you've grown and what happens there. What, it's, what does it look like? Set the scene. Uh, so the Village Market, I started the Village Market in 2016, the actual phys- physical marketplace. Um, and my purpose at the time was I wanted to do programming for Black-owned businesses, which led to um, exposure. Because I often hear and I heard uh, a lot during that time that Black-owned businesses um, were in dire need of funding. So I, mm-hmm. so I, didn't, I didn't have a bankroll, okay? I didn't have any access to capital myself, but I did know that uh, being a former educator that I could bring my network of people together to create curriculum and programming and start teaching some classes, which would then um, start building what would become the village for me. Mm. Um, and because I didn't have, I couldn't connect black owned businesses to lenders and things like that. Um, but I do know if we get enough people to support us, then that's the funding that we need. So mm-hmm. my, I was very intentional when I built the village market to make sure that people who would patronize this big quarterly marketplace that represents black excellence uh, in, in all our givings and all our magic. I knew that if I could get engaged consumers there, it would begin to change the narratives of what it meant to buy black, what it means to have stellar customer service and to show that we're more than shea butters. Shea butters are fine, but we have more than what to give. Right, right. Um, and sometimes when it comes to black business, we're siloed in what we can do. I wanted mm-hmm. to show a full representation, the plethora of of the village. Yeah, and I I totally agree with that. I feel like a lot of times I've heard people say, as black people, we're only given the opportunity to be experts of ourselves, right? So it's like shea butter, like dope t shirts, right? Like those are the things that people feel like we can be a part of, but we have so much more to offer outside of all of those things that we're also great at. Yes, I totally agree. Um, So I, when I, when I began to build the framework of it, and I guess we would say the business plan, I was very, very clear that I wanted to create a pipeline connecting black owned businesses to engage consumers to resources and then investors. 
but I didn't want to connect to investors without having some sense of an education source of what to do when you get the money. Or what do you do when you get all these consumers that's getting ready to patronize your business? I think the education should come first. I just listen to people and I listen to the, the businesses in the village and that's how I know what to build and create. And I thought about myself, what do I need when, when I'm stuck? When it's me in the three o'clock hour looking at the ceiling, hoping that I can make it to the next quarter in my business. I typically, after I prayed, of course, but I, then I started thinking about my resources of my friends who can help me, who have talents that, talents that I do not have. So I, my pool of friends uh, who have many of them, JJ, you were able to interview. They're mm-hmm. my mentors uh, for the village and village advisors. And I told them, I was like, okay, now everything that we do for our private collective, I need you guys to offer these same services to the businesses in the village. Uh, mm-hmm. so Unstuck is a very intimate setting of between 18 to 19 advisors people like Ryan at the Gathering Spot, Jewel Burke, and so on and so forth, get around a table. And as, as a community, we give the best of our advice, the best of our resources to businesses who feel that they have no idea how to move forward. And I tell them, you enter, to this, you enter in this space feeling that you don't know where to go, but when you leave, you're going to realize you have a whole village pouring into you and it's going to keep pulling you forward. So Unstuck yeah. has been the most, impact, to me, one of the most impactful former programming that we have. I've seen, I've seen people come in with the weight of feeling that they, their, their business is just done. And then you have someone at the table who is an investor or someone at the table who has a suite at the Mercedes-Benz Stadium and say, you know, I can get you, you can be a vendor at, at the stadium. I'm a suite, I'm a suite owner there. So that's what happens when you connect all the right people together to help the right people. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen just so much growth and more so it's an overwhelming of, of love when you're getting advice and resources from people who look like you, who are not asking anything from you. Hmm. Yeah. That, that gets to, um, to another question I had about, um, ecosystem building, right? Because th- that when I first met you and talked to you, like that was the thing that stood out to me that made me feel like, okay, we I have to have this girl on the on the <laughs> podcast because just um, the the way you talked about you know pulling together resources, which is something you know Shane and I talk about a lot in the podcast um, within the Black entrepreneurial community um, and just circulating dollars in the community, so so that you know what. You, you always have what you need around you. You don't have to go outside of that. So how did that become a passion for you? And wh- why do you think that's becoming more and more important in a city like Atlanta? It's a passion for me um, because I, I can say that I was birthed in a sense of, of a privilege, the privilege of seeing a community in small town, Mississippi, based in Mississippi. I had a village surrounding me my entire life. So I do believe when you've seen things, you're more likely to model the things that you've seen. And so I really took the community that rallied around me and this, you know, I absolutely love writing and I could write in the Mississippi Delta in the church or fill up just to read my words or be in a play that I've written. So I, I just know what it looks like. And because I know what it looks like to have a true ecosystem, not one that's a part of a trend, 
that with the wrong social media posts, all things have fallen apart. For me, an ecosystem and village creation, it takes a grave deal of humility. It takes also a grave deal of forgiveness when people get the leadership model wrong. And we're, mm. and we're modeling after a very failed system. So when people you know, start seeing the leaders that they want to be, they're probably modeling themselves out after, uh, in all due respect, white male leaders who've never led anything in a black community. Mm. Right. Preach. Get started. Let's get started. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, um, we had a financial coach on that was talking very similarly about how, like, the financial advice that we're given doesn't work, isn't going to work for us. It wasn't created for the lives that we're living, for the way that we kind of, uh, you know, have to survive in this country. And so it's like we can't necessarily look around us at all times to people that don't look like us and don't have the same very unique identity and glean from them how we should be doing this. Yes. I I don't, I don't know if I believe, I don't know if we consider that enough that a lot of the, a lot of the things that we're modeling, even some of the things that we call black excellence is coming from a non-melanated leader. Mm. So that's good. And, but I don't know if we we we've been so programmed. Yeah. Dr. K, do you have a? Are you a minister on the side? Yeah, I know you got a you evangelist. I hear, I hear that that minister cadence. <laughs> no, uh, that's uh, being got in the country in Mississippi. You know it doesn't leave you now. Yes, uh, right. <laughs> I, I know. Yes, right. <laughs> um, okay, so I would love to hear when you got started, like, so that very first day when you were like, this is something I want to do. This is something that I know needs to happen. What was the very first step that you took? Was it a phone call that you made? Like, what was your step one? That's really, I don't think anyone has ever asked me this question. Hey, we love love that. First time I've been asked this question. When I got the, the vision for the village market, actually my first step was to write it down. So I wouldn't forget all the things that I was seeing in my mind. And then secondly, I shared the idea with a very close friend of mine who is the only person that's in my friend community that I brought into the business uh, space with me. Mm. I called her and I told her that I had a really, really good idea that I knew was going to be impactful and that I needed her to go on the journey with me because she was brutally honest enough to tell me when I was getting it wrong. And we talked about what I saw in my mind and I basically shared with her and I'm going to start this in three months. And so she laughed and she's like, how are you going to start this in three months? You know, have you, have you ever put on a big event? And I said, no, um, but I have friends that have uh, done it before and I'm going to do it anyway. And in 90 days, uh, after I, her name is Danielle, after I spoke with Danielle about the vision, oh, next thing I did was wrote an uh, uh, email to my family and my friends about the village that I was going to build in Atlanta. And I knew how much startup money I needed from them. Um, mm. to supplement mm. what I'd already saved for myself. And within 24 hours, my family and friends had raised the money that I needed. Wow, wow that's yeah. awesome. So that's what I knew about the village. 
was it a loan that they put together for you or was it like just you know we like seed money we believe in oh it was absolutely seed money um and a, a lot of just if you say that if you say that you've been given something to do here you go mm. and it was i i mean i'm can't share enough with you it was within 24 hours i booked my first venue Yeah. And so that means now from that day forward, I had to get this event together that I'd never done. But I do hope the listeners hear that a lot of people pitch into these big corporations and never pitch to the people who love them most. That we Mm. missed that step. Um, and, And I can understand it. We're programmed to already think that we have to go to all these incubators and things like that. And they're necessary. But my first initial funding came from my direct community. I remember you telling me that you are 100% owned and that you've turned down investors who wanted to take a larger share in the in the village market. Um, is that one, is that still the case? And then two, uh, why was that important to you to like retain ownership? Yes, I'm still 100% owned. Um, I can tell you that, and I shared with you before, that continues to be a hard decision because with the right type of funding, it can catapult the village and really have a, a national, we're, can, we're running a, a marathon for a national um, fingerprint now, but we could be mm-hmm. with, with the right type of funding, then that can be a sprint. The yeah. reason why I chose two years ago and presently to still be 100% funding funded because I had to be careful about the story that I was telling our community about us. I had to be intentional with having a vetting process with the businesses that I chose. And I believe when mm-hmm. you have a large sum of money and a responsibility to now another company, another corporation or a private investor, then your values can be changed even if you don't want them to be because now I'm responding to a calling and I'm now also responding to a person. And I just wanted to be intentional that, to, that I, I guess hold my baby close to my heart because while we have done so well, the village market is incredible, but really why we've done so well, because we haven't had to compromise on our narrative. And if every single time the door is open, people trust that we're going to bring forth the best of our community that they're going to be treated with so much love and respect and honor because they entered the village. We don't ever have to question if, we, if we're going to do that well or not. When you're 100% on, then you own every part of the story. Yeah. And I read that whenever you do your quarterly showcases, you see over 600 plus black owned small businesses applying for the opportunity how did you grow? How have you grown your exposure in such a short time that that many businesses are trying to get in your door? I will tell you that word of mouth apparently still works because we were working with a big budget. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, word of mouth and having a barometer of excellence makes a difference. And when businesses mm-hmm. know that they're going to be trained before the doors open, that we'll go through classes together, physical classes. We go to webinars together. We do one-on-one phone calls together. That's already different. And so 
Then they call their other business owner, uh, their fellow friend who's a business owner. And then they tell them the part is most what makes most businesses really excited is that we have a engaged consumer base that comes to the market. So essentially, we have people who come to the market to invest and in, in buy from black owned businesses. So in five hours, mm-hmm. businesses are making a, a grave deal of money. That's nothing. If nothing else, that's that's what get other businesses excited, because. Anytime they invest in a quote vendor, a vendor opportunity or showcasing or expo type opportunity, it's a risk. Are people going to come or they're not going to come? Am I going to put all of this into this, this opportunity and get nothing out of it? We've promised that you're going to get something out of it and you're going to get something out of it long before you ever meet the community. And we continue to meet and exceed that. That takes a lot of discipline. Can you talk about what that what that looks like? Because, um, you know, I, I remember you saying, like, you know, to your point, like you you make a you vendors when they when you select them to be a part of the of the market, they you know sometimes end up paying being able to pay the rent for their for their office space that month. You know, um, they um, are able to like you know get that funding for you know the product design they needed. Um, can you talk about like how much on average like you're able to circulate at one of these quarterly markets and you know um, like kind of what what some of the statistics look like in terms of how it how well the the market does. Yes, um I'm, I'm super proud that to to humanize numbers that if we have 100 businesses in the place on average businesses are making between 5 to 6,000 some between 8 and 10. And then on the low end considering what type of product they have if it's low in pricing, they will probably at minimum make about $3,500. Spread that across 100 businesses. Um and about 35 to 3,600 people coming to the market. We're circulating a little over 500,000 every time those doors open up from us contracting businesses to be a part and just the circulation inside of the village that night. Um, But to put those numbers into perspective, as I was sharing with you, in one night, businesses are being able to pay their mortgages. They're being able to, whatever the... If they if they needed enough products to get them through the next quarter in one night, they're able to get that. And, that's, mm-hmm. and they didn't have to lose any or take the risk of taking money from an investor. This is showing up mm-hmm. in excellence and then a community responds to you. They buy your products. But that's why the vetting process in the education component is so critical. When I first started doing that, I got a lot of pushback. And to be frank, it didn't matter. I, I, yeah, not not at all. I do not push back from, from the vetting. Yeah, process. I got a lot of pushback from the vetting process. I got a lot of pushback from requiring that classes uh, that you have to attend classes. I got a lot of pushback that Village Market, if there's any branding, that we would create our own branding for you. Mm-hmm. Um, because Three years ago, and also got a lot of pushback that the products have to be all natural and any food had to be plant-based. And this was three, this was in 2016, so it wasn't cool then to be plant-based. And do you also get pushback from non-Black businesses? 
that like want to be involved? I do. I get a lot of heartfelt uh, emails. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Hotel. She's like, that's so sad. <laughs> yeah, you, I'm so sorry. Yeah. Sorry, not sorry. It's all love. Uh, right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So we do. We do uh, get a lot of of emails. Now we've had non-black businesses participate, and so, so oh, we do okay. have a category for minority-owned businesses. And so, minority-owned businesses for us are still women-owned businesses and women mm-hmm. and, and businesses of of color that are non-black. So right. And I also do that to kind of reverse the programming how does it feel to come in a space when you're already labeled a minority mm. if nothing else che- teaches you a level of humanity and respect is to be labeled by a thing that a whole group of people are classified as so i read a statistic recently that a dollar circulates in the black community for only six hours compared to 28 days in the asian community and it seems like you've been able to create this utopia where that is not the case, right? Where we're circulating a dollar within the black community for a lot longer than six hours. What do you think contributes to this kind of lack of relationship between the black dollar and the black business outside of the village? It contributes um, largely due to options and due to, you can shop from a local business and in all honesty, if Walmart has it cheaper, Target has it cheaper right. and it's more convenient, consumers, regardless of race and ethnicity, drive towards convenience. And we've been programmed, I can't go away from that, to question the validity in our own things. Mm-hmm. So we fight against that. And we also fight against that we're in a, a part of this large monopoly game. And they were a small piece of on the board and they own the board. So <laughs> if, if, when people say, "Why? Well, how does the money only circulate so much? It was, it was designed to only circulate so much. Right. But when we start seeing the infrastructure of the design, why don't we respond differently and more consistently? We can talk about these numbers or we can actively consistently shop from our own communities. Every other ethnicity I've seen, they're able to do this well. Yeah. Yeah, they're able to do it well. But I still will say that the opposition that they they face is not the type of opposition that we face. Do you worry about, I mean, Atlanta is like majority black, but do you worry, uh, well, today. I was going to say, for now. (laughs) For now. But do you worry about that? you know, becoming more difficult to do in Atlanta as more, you know, Atlanta is already like, there's a huge like corporate presence there. Right. But it seems like more and more businesses, especially tech businesses um, are moving to Atlanta and making it more of, or making it less of a maker kind of community specifically, but also more of a corporate owned community and less of like the black ecosystem of entrepreneurs and and people in a village that you know that you um are a proponent of but do you do you how do you feel about that trend i think the trend is important uh i think we need if it's a black tech company that's conscious that is going to meet a level of economic empowerment that a maker wouldn't make i hope that black tech company then becomes an investor in the maker community i will say this 
that makers have always made. And people will always need their everyday, everyday goods. Mm-hmm. I can't see that being lost in a city like Atlanta, in a city like New York. I don't see it being lost. But what I do see is that we get excited about doing something one time. And I shot black this month. <laughs> and we get the selfie at the black on restaurant. Right. Hashtag buy black. Yes. And it's like, I got it in for the year. And it's like 364 days left. Right. So it's not, <laughs> so it's not necessarily the corporations that are, that's here that may impede upon village like setups and celebrating makers and artisans. I'm more so, so concerned is that we're we're controlled by social media so much that if social media doesn't remind us that it's cool to shop from our own, that we'll forget. Um, and I'm just going to rewind. So we talked a little bit about um, you requiring the brands to be plant-based. And I also read that the Village Market has a plant-based cafe. And then you also have a clinic where doctors are coming in. Um, I love that connection between wellness and wellness, right? Like it's like wellness of our bodies, financial wellness, all of that. So why was that an important part for you to include in the village market? I believe in any business. Well, it really depends on who the founder or the CEO is. So I have to lead with how I live. That I know that if we're going to talk about economic empowerment in our community, how do we talk about these things first if we're not practicing the the state of living well. Right. Or or if we're like so sick from eating dairy that we can't make it to the meetings. Like yeah. that's that's what I always tell like I so I'm I'm primarily plant-based but I'm definitely dairy-free uh pescatarian and I always kind of get on my soapbox with people when they're like, "Well, I'm just so tired." I'm like, "Yeah, right. It's cuz you're lactose intolerant." Oh. <laughs> JJ, you better leave that dairy alone. You better leave that dairy alone. You are not a baby cow. There's no reason. I'm working on. And so, and that's what I say. I'm like, you know, I I imagine you're tired because your body literally has to shut down to process something that it doesn't want to process. So I feel like, and that so that's why I loved about this is like the idea that this success that we're talking about really, if we can't get out of bed in the morning, we definitely can't be successful. Yes. Or if we're talking about building generational wealth, you building things in the present that you won't even experience. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, okay. <laughs> drag you. you. I love you, JJ. So what else is on the horizon for the village market? Yeah. When do we get one? Yeah. Uh, village market in New York. <laughs> yes. Uh, next year. So the goal is the goal is uh, that we will do um, a three or four city tour. Hopefully in 2020, we're going to manifest that the sponsor that's going to make sure this happens. Um, but so, of course, I want I want to do the tour, but I, I'm my heart is really being moved more into the programmatic space. Mm-hmm. I've been I, I know that there are things that we need that we're still not being provided in our community. and. I want to be a part of who builds it and who brings the people to, in the community together that our community can truly get what we need to sustain financially, emotionally, spiritually. 
I want to be a part of that in a very physical, everyday space. Mm-hmm. So we'll continue to build the marketplace in in 2020. But I would love to. Con- I'm actively working on a physical space in Atlanta that looks quite different than anything else that we have here. Because I know that what better what better people to be conduits. So I'm really. So you mean you mean like other like um like what kind of things would you offer at this at this new type of place? I would. So the initial the initial vision and I've shared with you JJ about making sure there's a maker space in Atlanta. We have we have the space for tech people. We have spaces for um, corporations and service providers, but I don't think there's a space quite yet that matches the needs of black makers in Atlanta, uh, where there's a direct connection um, to suppliers. I re- My goal is to build a, to build an infrastructure where these things are possible. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Um, and and then one quick follow up on that. If, if anybody listening to this wants to apply to, um, to, to, join the village market ATL, what what do they have to do? First thing, uh, make sure you guys go to the village market ATL.com and complete an application. I will share that we've already started the selection process for our November black Friday festival. Uh, it is themed four days, four ways to make an economic impact. Mm. So please get the applications in. Um, but do know I'm in full transparency. I think we only have maybe three more spots that's wow. for yeah, get on it. I know. <laughs> yeah, get on it. Uh, but if you are in Atlanta and you need programmatic support, there's several programs that you can take part of. Uh, so just apply for any one of those. And we're here, but everything is found on our website. Oh, thank you guys so much. Thank you for what, the work you're doing with the podcast. I'm excited to be your first remote interviewer, but I'm yes. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you for telling our stories. Of course. Thank you. We'll talk to you later. All righty. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Talking to people like Dr. Key always makes me feel hopeful that there are still brains out here that like want what I want, which is just a black world. (laughs) (laughs) They just want us to pull all our resources and like just feel confident that we can Together, we can do it. Yeah. Can you imagine if there were, like, if everyone had that mentality of, like, we all need to pull together right. resources and, and build? Because, obviously, the systems and infrastructures that exist today right. aren't for us. don't want to right. encourage that kind of equity building that yeah. you're talking about. So, I love that. Thank you, Dr. Key. Yes, yes, yes. All right. Now it's time for L. L. <laughs> Wait, I want to tell the listeners how you've just been in here singing, <sighs> singing Negro spirituals. I'm sorry, y'all. <laughs> I, you might notice that I sound a little weak this uh, episode. I'm, he dragged uh, himself the to the studio today. I came all the way down from Harlem. Yes, to Lord. To talk to you today. Yes, I had Lord. To, a <laughs> little on the, on the break. I had to sing a little <laughs> spiritual to get myself. <laughs> So we'll do we'll, we'll, we'll get through LLC. We're almost there. We are almost done. Yeah. <laughs> mm. We love and we learn and we can't <laughs> a little long. Right. All right. Do you want me to go first or you? 
Um, I'll go first. Okay. So, um, my, I have two quick loves. So, one, Viola. Two loves? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> so, uh, abnormal for me. But, right. Um, Viola Davis has become the newest face of L'Oreal. Um, she, what, I noticed you have an audible silence there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I want to ask about that. But um, yeah, so, you know, Viola Davis, famous actress. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yes. um, Gowns, gorgeous gowns. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Gathers people regularly on how to get away with murder. Um, And, you know, she's 54 years old and, you know, it's truly an example of black not cracking. And so, like, I'm very much um, excited for her, you know, that uh, she defies age standards while also being this beautiful black woman who uh, now represents this makeup brand. So that's one loved. What's her what's her comment? It's it's in there. What is it? I just. (laughs) So, L'Oreal Uh-oh. has got, like, they've dropped people for being racist towards minorities, mm-hmm. which, as you should. But then they've also done a sweeping drop of people who have criticized white supremacy. Hmm. And... What do you mean? So, like, two years ago... There was a black British trans model who made a comment. Oh, is that um, Monroe Borgdorf? Yeah, yeah. And she made a comment about white supremacy's complicity. What's the word? I want? Complicity. Complicity mm-hmm. in violence against trans specifically, mm-hmm. and they dropped her. I remember that. So for me, you don't get to be both sides mm-hmm. when it comes to justice. Yes, it doesn't work that way. We can't have the rally in Charlottesville where people are dying and you're saying there's good people on both sides. Right. So, so, so L'Oreal trumped, we, did the Trump for this right. situation. But are we able to celebrate Viola still for this, for the deal? Viol- celebrate Viola, but L'Oreal, what are you, what are you, why are you doing it? Right? Like I just get, and um, Davon talked about this, mm-hmm. about how these, Companies and these publications are putting blacks on the face because they know we are popping and we will sell. <laughs> but then behind the scenes, you're not actually doing any of the work. Right. And I just get tired of them benefiting off the fact that we're just the fucking dopest things on the planet. And they know that. It, it It's exhausting to me. So I'm happy for Viola if this is what she wants and this, like... <laughs> is going to help her and makes her feel great. Uh I just get tired of companies being able to benefit. And I know firsthand, I can't even say how closely firsthand, how it feels to see black models at a company where no black people make any of the decisions. Mm. That's been my entire career. Yeah. And it's like, but when I look at the studio, you have like, the coolest looking black people in there and like you have people with like tattoos and piercings and like big hair mm-hmm. but then when i walk not even your c-suite when i walk on my level right. when i walk around and see the people that are manager level that i'm the only person that looks like me mm-hmm. it's annoying that you keep getting to make millions and billions mm-hmm. off the fact that we are culture right that's all <laughs> It's your LLC. Sorry now. to crush your love. <laughs> well, Viola. 
Um, I'm sorry. Congrats, Viola, congrats. on being that that bitch. Congrats, Viola. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, bad bitch. Um, okay, well, my other love. Well, I'll keep quiet. Don't ask me what I think about this one. But I hear you. I, I'm I'm there with you. We just you know talked about last week um, about you know how corporations mine you know minorities mm-hmm. in their in our culture for. Mm-hmm billions but don't represent um internally so yes yeah cool sign yeah my other love is um the uh virginia theological seminary uh their recent announcement that they will set aside 1.7 million dollars to pay reparations to descendants of enslaved africans hmm um specifically the ones that worked on its campus during the 1800s now Um, i like that yeah um so as you know like some you know there's like georgetown i know specifically but there are other schools that have recently been um struggling with like coming to a decision on how they want to yeah um you know face their slave owning past um so virginia uh theological seminary they're not offering scholarships or plaques or whatever they're actually looking for descendants of the african-americans that it held bondage and then use this 2.2 million dollar fund where are they getting where's the money from the fund not tuition i hope (laughs) um not black people's tuition i hope not but that would suck Um, because isn't that what georgetown or georgetown was like trying to have students pay an extra no right i don't want to pay my own reparations right. y'all did it yeah it doesn't say where i, I have to do some more poking around but okay. i just thought it was a. all right we'll love it for now right <laughs> <laughs> i'm sorry this i'm just was... poking holes in all the love all today. my love sucked today even after rallying i'm sorry um and I my know, superpower. And you're going to hate my counsel, but it's very important to me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I love things, I promise, guys. I don't hate it all. So, shout out to Panama Jackson. Um, from who, Very Smart from Brothers. Ber- very Smart Brothers, which is owned by The Root, which is not owned by Gizmodo. Whatever. Um, <laughs> and then I thought it was owned by Univision. Yeah, it's, it's a whole <laughs> There's always a white person at the top. <laughs> Story about yeah, lights all the way up. Um, so uh, so he wrote about this on uh, on the route, um, and I had I didn't even know until he alerted my attention to it. But Tedra Moses music, your girl, has been taken down from streaming. Why? I don't know. I I even like added her on Instagram. I was like, Tedra girl, what happened to your music? And she didn't respond. She she has responded to me in the past, so I thought uh, I thought she was going to actually respond. But it, I wonder if something went down. Yeah, with the rights yeah. or something. Yeah. So what's it, been going on with her career though? Well, that's what that's why I I think that it probably has something to do with like her whole struggle because you know she came out in two thousand four. Listeners, just bear with me. It's another fan fangirl moment. <laughs> Um, TJ Moses is a, an R&B singer. She came out with this album, this amazing album called Complex Simplicity, which came out in 2004. <laughs> You've told me about this album and so many times. Whatever. It is I've a, listened. It is a cult favorite. Like, it is one of those iconic albums from someone who just didn't have a lot of luck in the rest of their careers. Mm-hmm. Um, like, she was on TVT Records, um, and then it folded, like, four years after she got signed, and 
And so she she was just labelist for a long time. And now her one iconic album is nowhere to be found. Like, thankfully, I have, like, all my music backed up on, you know, like, a hard drive somewhere yeah. or whatever. Um, but can you imagine? Just, like... Gone. Gone. So, that's canceled. Whoever need to, like, get the rights, Spotify, Apple Music, fix it. Yeah. We love Tidra. Yes, we do. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> do yours. I'm going to sleep. No! <laughs> Stay with me. Bye. Um, so, I have a learned, canceled, and then a loved. So... My learned today, well, my my learned and canceled are the same, but I will segue. So, um, this week I read about the release of a new Apple and not an iPhone, <gasps> an actual... Did you know that cashews grew on apples? Yeah, like at the top. Yeah, mm-hmm. I just found this out. But like not on apples that not we Not apples, like apples, this. but they're like, called cashew like apples. Crab apples. They look like yeah. apples. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Yep. Agriculture is a very interesting thing that we don't know about. So the release of a new apple, which like the produce that you eat, Mm -hmm. called Cosmic Crisp. And this is a like bread by humans apple. And it has taken two decades of research and development to get this apple, which is a mix of a honey crisp. And Enterprise, it's like a careful crossbreed. And Honeycrisp is a really good apple. Mm-hmm. But the difference with this one is that it had, when they launched it, they had like Instagram influencers. They had a $10.5 million marketing budget. They had press conferences. And it's an intellectual property owned by Washington State. And so only farmers there can grow this apple. The state of Washington? So this took me down a rabbit hole. Of our produce and our agriculture and how we can't even own nature. (laughs) How God, how we have trademarked God at this point. And I can't even grow a specific type of apple if I want to. That's wild. White people are going to own everything. Can you break this down for me? What's happening? What do you mean? So we can't. So it's so only people in Washington. It's a trademarked apple, basically, okay. because they they did all this research and development. So to grow this type of apple, mm-hmm. you have to have the license. What's so special about the apple? Nothing. <laughs> it's just the taste and the look. it's just the taste. And we live in an elitist culture, and <laughs> we can't just have apples for everyone. We all want to be. We all want something exclusive that we nobody do. else can have. And now the apple has it. And so it it makes me think about control controlled intellectual property of agricultural products and what that means for like food deserts going forward. Right? Yeah. Like, say they made an apple that could, like, grow really well in bad climate, but then they trademark it, so then the mm. people that can't... Right? Yeah. Like, let your mind spiral this down, and the ownership That's... of, quote-unquote, healthy food, and how scary that is. That is very scary. Yeah. So, like, if you're, Join a, bil- me. If you're a billionaire, and, like, all the apple crops are... Are dead. You could just like you buy could, buy this. Yes, IP and then from and then the sell States. the apples for a million dollars. So mm. yes, mm. right. Get on board now. You know. <laughs> and the crazy thing to me that it made me think about is like, and I was just talking to you about this. Like, you know, I've recently gotten into sneakers. I was like not a sneaker person before, and I was at a sneaker store recently. And when you just see how unattainable 
things have become, mm-hmm. right? Like sneakers have always been a big thing, but at this point when a sneaker drops and you have literally two seconds to pick it up before a bigger company has bought all of them is now selling them three times over market value, right? right? It's just like we have moved. And even when I think about Quip, right? A toothbrush that is now like a subscription and it's rose gold and you have to have, right? It's just like everything is being taken out of the grasp of the common man. Mm. And now that's including apples. I mean, wealth inequality is also at an all-time high. Because we're owning, like if I own it, and when I think about AIDS medication, Mm. when I think about cancer drugs when i think right and it's like if i own that like what what happened with epipens Mm -hmm. i own epipens and so now you have to pay me a million dollars to get an epipen Mm. forget if it's gonna save your life i own it that it scared me when i read that it felt very um dystopian future that one wealthy person can own something that could save us all yeah like an apple a day keeps the doctor away (laughs) and now look or does it I mean, um, I eat a lot of apples. I mean, but then the question for me that I always like we we talk about like people like Jay Z, right? Like who um feels he has to play the game to get ahead. Like the 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 question then becomes like in order to survive, do you also become like someone who Right, do you trying, have to? Yeah, you start trying to amass everything too. And that's what I and I don't wanna be that. Like I don't have a colonizer spirit in my blood but i but it's like do you have to to then make it also because if i'm out here just trying to eat free apples for the people but really the health the the health benefit is in the cosmic crisp that i can't afford right you might have to buy that ip too no i i want apples for everyone apples for everyone apples Uh, for everyone that's my presidential (laughs) campaign um so yeah that was just my no, that's scary. I'm glad you brought that up. I did not know. I didn't either. About this story. And apparently it happens, it's happening a lot more than it used to. Extremely disease resistant to apple scab, cedar apple rust, and fire blight. Moderate resistance which to then, powdery mildew. Which then tells you, how can they ever sta- like put an organic stamp on there? Yeah, keeps five to six months if refrigerated. Ooh, that's scary. This is why we're all just spiraling down dying from the inside eyeballs wow. bleeding because we're eating apples that, that won't last six rot for six months <laughs> so that was my my learned was about the cosmic crisp my canceled was about wealthy ownership of health and wellness um and then i had a loved that like might not translate well now over let me poke holes in it like you poke no, holes in my love that might not translate well over audio but we'll put the link so that you guys can like list read it while you're listening to this but what? there was a hashtag on twitter this week that was hashtag nfid20 and i was like what is this so it's a high school in michigan um called north farmington high school and they have a tradition of the seniors like recreating memes for their high school IDs. And when I looked at it today, there was just some really good ones. There was like a Drake one, a Solange one, a one that from uh Formation with Beyonce with the hat. When she did like a really good job to recreate it. I just thought it was really cute. Are these all black kids? Uh all brown kids. Okay. Yeah. Okay. 
Cool. There was like a Will Smith one, a Princess Jasmine one. Cool. Uh, a, J- a Janet Jackson from Poetic Justice. Nice. Yeah, it's just like very cute. And, you know, I don't know anything about the school, but I do like when you see children being able to be children, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's no reason why they're ids like that you can still see their face right right? and so i just kind of liked that idea that they are just like this is like your language right now memes are like how you guys communicate and so we're gonna just like let you keep up with this because i just feel like we hear so much while the world the world burns you don't have to worry about that right (laughs) and like right this is the one thing that you can just have a good old time exactly so i like that i'm gonna put the link so you guys can see oh and one girl did like the rihanna meme where rihanna's like making like such a stank face Mm -hmm. and she like it just was really cute and shows that like you know this is our culture for reals um another girl dressed like cardi b when she was little like just cute Mm -hmm. so i felt light it felt very like hmm look at us yeah look at us just out here like enjoying life Mm -hmm. as we spiral out of control Mm -hmm. cool that's it that was my love great don't I, I have whole support, but I'm not going How? to it sounds lovely. You don't. I do. Why? I'm not going to. I want to see what the who the kids are and which memes they're I want to make sure that no kid is doing a digital blackface, that's all. There's a white kid and then he did the kid from Stranger Things. Good. Okay. There's so a no black holes. kid that did your uh into the spider verse. Mouse Morales. Yeah, there's a white girl, but then she did Sandra Bullock from Bird Box. This is very smart. Yeah, see? Right. It okay, was fine. good. You know if there was a hole to find, fine. I would have found it. I'll let you make it. Yes, okay. All right, that's it this week, guys. Thank you for coming back. Check the show notes, please. Mm-hmm. And, um, oh, I created a link tree this week. So if you go to our social, so our Instagram is Your Business Pod, our Twitter is Your Business Pod, you can click on our link tree in the profile. What's a link tree? Are you a hundred? A link tree is basically a site that you can make that links all that takes all your links and puts them in one place. And so now they can click on the link tree and they can say they can like listen to us on Apple Podcasts, listen to us on Spotify, listen to us wherever, support our Patreon, like cool. so that they don't have to like click a bunch of places. Cool. Thanks for explaining that to me. You're welcome. <laughs> all right, get some sleep because you're awful. <laughs> all right, bye, y'all. Bye. Thanks for coming back. Bye.